0: Campers, this is Lauren Marie Taylor, and you are listening to the Not the Final Girl Podcast. Alrighty everybody, I've got Amanda Wiss on the pod today, and this is part one of a two-part episode. We have so much fun talking about her very early career as a creepy little girl on stage and then being a really quirky kid off stage as well. Of course, we're going to get into her role as Freddie's first victim, Tina Gray, in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And Amanda will also share what it was like to work with the legendary Wes Craven. Now you can see why this is in two parts. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Let's go. Today, I've got Amanda Wiss with me, and I just want to say thank you, Amanda, for taking the time all the way out on the West Coast, where you are, for uh, joining us on the Not the Final Girl podcast. Thank you for
1: having me. I'm very happy to be here.
0: You've had a fantastic career, and you and I actually have a very similar discovery story because our very first reps found us when we were acting on stage. I was in a production of Oklahoma with Ali Sheedy and her manager came up to me after the show was over and said hey have you ever thought about doing TV commercials and the rest was history how did that happen for you
1: oh my gosh that's such a great story where were you guys doing it
0: we were actually doing it in our uh, junior year of high school at an all boys school in the Upper East Side of Manhattan called oh Regis God. High School yeah it's pretty funny
1: <laughs> oh my gosh are you a singer
0: I was yeah I was I was a, when I was a triple threat, you know, singer, dancer, actress back then.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, you still have that talent. It's not going to go away.
0: Yeah, in the shower, as long as I don't slip and fall while tap dancing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, that's fun. I always wanted to be a singer. I got to sing in one play, but it was this po- post-apocalyptic, <laughs> depressing play, and I don't remember the name of it. It was like it was like it was like twenty or something, and uh, I the the world has you know it's basically from toxins. It was it was sort of a prescient play about like global warming and all this stuff. But I I'm like this like white trash hillbilly girl <laughs> sitting on a front porch. And when I've been you know irradiated, and I'm singing. How high is the water, mom? I was like, I finally get to sing. It was very, it was very eerie. That was the only time I've sang in public, and I was, it was, it was um, I was very
0: thrilled. Were you, were you also mortified too? Besides being thrilled?
1: No, because I was like. I'm singing a Johnny Cash song. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't require much, and it was also, like, so, like, moody and eerie and creepy that um, it actually made the audience cry. Like, everybody oh. was, like, that was, like, the saddest thing. Like, I know, right? So, so it was, I mean, if I would had to try to sing, like, a Trisha Yearwood song or something, <laughs> I'd just, I just, well, first of all, I would never be cast. They'd be, like, Next, next, next. it's not happening we don't want you um, but they're like oh yeah you, you, you sing like Johnny Cash perfect and, um, I know. so that was perfect but the, the play I was doing when um, I got an agent was I, I was doing the, I, the I'd done a play at a, this little theater that doesn't exist anymore in LA and um, I was doing the Innocence mm-hmm. I was playing Inge, I was playing Flora and then the following year, they cast me again. Well, I mean, it was double cast because we were little kids. But yes. I was, I think I was in the seventh grade or eighth grade. I can't remember. And um, I did The Bad Seed. that played Rhoda. And <laughs> the funny thing was, I just was made to be creepy, I guess, because my dad happened to be sitting in the theater opening night. It was previews and that reviewer from the LA Times was in front of him and said, leaned over to... The person next to them and said, "I wouldn't let that little bitch in my <gasps> house for all the tea in China." And <gasps> my dad was like, "Oh, I guess she's doing a good job."
0: And oh my gosh!
1: <laughs> I know. So and so from that play, I got an agent, and um, but I didn't really pursue theatrical. I mean, I went on a couple auditions, but then I just it really just hung there. I I mean, I wasn't from a theatrical family, and I lived in this little beach town and. When I got into high school I thought, Oh, you know, I think I was like a sophomore and I called that agent on my own and um she sent me out on commercials and then I started doing commercials. Yeah. yeah. And then I started reading a little bit for theatrical but I didn't really book anything or be cast in anything like that until the summer after. I graduated high school, so my dad still had to go to the set with me, which, I mean, my parents were just so not into it. I used to ask neighbors to drive me <laughs> on my auditions. I would literally go knock on doors in our neighborhood and be like, hi, Mrs. Burr, I don't mean to bother <laughs> you, but do you think you can drive me up to Los Angeles? Because I thought it would. I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. I had my little Thomas guide. Oh, yeah. And- I remember those. Yeah, and I would just like literally go knock on neighbors' doors to see if they would drive me on my auditions. And then, <laughs> then my dad would take the day off work and go on the set and he, he was just totally like didn't know what the hell was happening. In fact, when he took me to his Sag. I did my first commercial tap partner and then I had to join Sag. And you know, mm-hmm. we drove up to LA, and you know, neither of us. He was just like, Where the hell is this place? What, what are we doing? <laughs> and then I wanted to change my name because nobody except for you pronounced my last name correctly. And I, 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 wanted to take like my either of my grandmother's maiden names. And um, my dad was like, Absolutely not. And I was like, Why are you here? Like you're ruining my whole like vibe. How <laughs> <laughs> I want to go on to be an actor. Get out, I want to change my name, and um, so I never did.
0: Uh, what were some of your um, the names that you were thinking about changing it to? Well,
1: I was going to either be both my my one grandmother was Annie Sheridan, so I was going to be Amanda Sheridan. Okay, and then my other grandma is Alma Kennedy, so I was going to go for Amanda Kennedy. Or then my great grandma was Catherine Grady, so I was going to be like, oh, Amanda Grady, Amanda Sheridan, Amanda Kennedy. My dad was like, nope, 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 and nope. <laughs> and then he filled out the forms, and I was a minor, and that was that. I just, I really never had any say in it. <laughs> 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 he was like, I was like, and, and they, I grew up, and they called me Mandy, and I had to fight for him to write Amanda on my sex. I was like, no, I don't want to be Mandy. I want to be Amanda. So he's, you know, first generation American, and is very old world European, and was just like... You will not change your. Team. You will not do this. You will not. <laughs> and I was like, all right. I was like, all right. That's fine. And then, and then I remember he had to pay for me to join the union, but then he made me pay it back in full plus interest after my next job. <laughs> he was like just sitting there toe tapping. Like, where's that? Where's that check? And I was like, here it
0: is. go I got lucky with my first uh, my first acting gig in commercials. I wound up doing all the Burger King commercials for three years and all the. Jingles. Oh my god. So when I I joined SAG. Yeah, I used to sing jingles too. Oh my god. You know, in when you're in New York City and you're going to auditions, you don't have to drive anywhere. It's such a different experience than what you had because we have, you know, trains and buses. Nobody drives in New York City. And you had the opposite experience where you did rely on the adults in your life to get you there, no matter how busy they were.
1: Totally. And my mom didn't drive, and my dad was at work. So, literally, my older sister is quite a bit older, and she was going to UCLA, so she was very busy. And I literally would go knock on neighbors' doors. And by the way, they were not surprised by that because when I was a kid, I used to go knock on people's doors and ask them if I could iron their clothes and because I love doing those things. I'm talking, I always like hate. So we grew up in the neighborhood with all the same people. So they're like, There's the little freaky whiz kid who likes to clean. She <laughs> needs a ride. <laughs> like they were like oh lock the doors it's the freaking little whiz kid coming over for some reason again yeah
0: Yeah, and instead of paying them for gas you clean their house
1: oh totally (laughs) because my mom was like i my i mean my house was clean but my family's very relaxed and i just was born where like i liked my days of the week underwear and they had to be worn (laughs) on i remember that week. Yeah. I remember then, those. so my socks had to be my color, and he was like, my mom was like, you are literally an alien. I don't know where you came from, and I loved to back you, and it made her nuts. And she was like, no, and she might have been. Go ask a neighbor if you can back you. And so <laughs> I did. I, I, and then I, I loved to iron, and my mom was like, absolutely you not. Know. And so I would get like a dime, I'd be like, can I? I I'll iron your shirts for a dime. <laughs> I, just like every, I was telling my boyfriend about this, and he was just like, he had this look on his face of just like pain and restraint.
0: <laughs> but inside he's thinking, oh, damn, am I lucky? i
1: I'm like, let me iron your shirt, and I like to vacuum. Although he's super relaxed. He's like, you know, if you vacuum that off and you're just ruining the carpeting, I was like, is that a thing? Can you ruin your carpet by vacuuming really? I don't think
0: so. Actually, um, you can. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. If you have one of those vacuum cleaners that has the different settings where you can raise it up a little bit, lower a little bit, depending yeah. on whether you're on the floor or not. If you keep it down and you have a carpet that's or a rug that's not very expensive, it will pull out all of the stitching in the rug or it will eat all the fuzzies until it eats it raw. Okay. <laughs>
1: I now have to say he's right.
0: Dang it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh,
1: my God. That is awesome. Oh, my gosh.
0: Okay. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> by the way, did you know that the haunting of Blind Manor was actually inspired by the Innocence?
1: Oh. Yeah. What? I vaguely remember hearing that. You know, the Innocence is, I think, one of the creepiest plays. Like, it's so... You know, I haven't I haven't
0: watched The Hunting of Blood Bloodman. Have you seen it? Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm I'm just crazy. Well, I love the actors who are in it. Uh, but I absolutely loved it. And when I researched, you know, where the story came from, I saw that it was based on the um, blah, blah, blah. there was a, a, a film by the same name, The um, The Innocents, yeah. in 1961. It was done in 1961. I think it's considered one of the scariest. Movies ever made, oh. um, you know anything with creepy kids is scary. Let's face it. Yeah, um, I know,
1: and I so those, those like actually the three plays that I've done, I've all played even the irradiated Johnny Cash singing hillbilly. I always play somebody creepy, so it was really setting me up for a Nightmare on the Street. I'm pretty sure. Although Tina wasn't the character I played wasn't really creepy, but I have that sensibility. <laughs> I remember when I read for that. Everybody read for the role of Nancy, who's the hero or the heroine mm-hmm. the, and the final girl. And, um, and then, you know, we got called back and, and he changed me to the role of Tina. But the interesting thing was when I met with him, I was like, I've never really seen horror films. We, we didn't really go see scary movies. Uh, my I goes to the beach. A lot of times we didn't even have a television, it was very much like read a book, you know, or we played games at night or whatever. It's a little hippy dippy. Um, but I was talking to him, and he was so we were, but I said I like to read scary things, mm-hmm. and he already knew that I'd done the innocence and the bad seed. <laughs> and he's like, you know, so she was like. <laughs> Did you, you know, because I was asking, like, is this different? Is it a different kind of acting? Like, or, like I didn't know what I was talking about with Wes, and he's like this genius. And he's like, no, in fact, the reason I like you, you know, because he didn't want you playing like you're a horror film. Right. Right, it's very interesting. And, and But he called all four of us that were in the movie into the callback and cast us on the spot in the room, and that has never happened me since. It was just a weird, fluky thing. Like He just put us together and knew we were the four he wanted, and that was that.
0: Yeah. Did that make you more chummy throughout the filming? Did that create a very early bonding experience for you guys?
1: You know what? It did, and we're all still friends. You are. Yeah. The same with Better Off Dead, and then through the years, through my birthday parties and stuff, those two friend groups have kind of merged and i didn't go to college so i kind of consider them my like you know sorority and fraternity friends but um yeah we were very close and and then i think as you know from your movies too like especially at the advent of going to conventions even if we didn't see each other in real life but we do mm-hmm. it, it creates these nice little bonding things where we get to you know usually saturday nights we all go out to dinner yeah we do that too and it, yeah and it's really nice and it's a way to you know stay in touch and to do all that and um i going to say funny story i want to hear about your first convention and how it came about because mine is i'll tell you mine is super fast heather and heather lengekamp and robert england wanted me to go to a convention with them. Uh So they called and they're like, We'd like you to go and we know you don't have a convention agent or whatever, but we've been doing these conventions and we want you to go with us. And I was like, You want me to go to an R V (laughs) convention? Dad used to take me to those when I was a kid. We would go to all these like RV conventions and like outdoor yeah yeah conventions. We
0: used to go to those too, even though we lived in the city. We went anyway.
1: (laughs) Yes, because it would crawl through, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, I love the wood interior of this RV," and I want this tent. This is amazing. And so Robert is like,
0: "Literally, what are
1: you talking about?" (laughs) And I was like, "Well." Do we go to these? Like, do we show people RVs? <laughs> I literally thought that they, we were going to an RV convention. too much. We're like, <laughs> they were like, no, you know, like a Comic-Con. And I just literally went, oh, I've heard of San Diego Comic-Con. But that's like <laughs> for people that write comic books, right? And they were like, oh, my God, you're useless. So anyway, they're like, just forget it. We're, you're coming with us. It's a fan experience, convention. Anyway, so that's how I ended up doing them. And I had never even heard of such a thing. I had no idea. Like, you know, you coming from the soap opera world, I think the soap opera people were the people that invented those fan meet and greets, don't you?
0: Well, we used to do a lot of those at malls and other events. You know, the network would send you. Like, I was on ABC Network. And they would say, hey, Lauren, next weekend you are going to not – are you free next weekend? But you're going to such and such mall, and you'll be part of a fashion show, and then you'll sit down and sign autographs. You know, they always fly us first class, which was uh, which was great. Uh, so it was definitely different. What's the weirdest thing that you've ever signed at a convention?
1: Probably like somebody's chest or back, yeah. but that's been very rare. I haven't had too many. Um, of those things. I mean, people will tattoo my character on them and then they'll ask me to sign that. And then I guess they're going to tattoo that. What about you?
0: Oh boy. My uh, character in Friday <laughs> the 13th part two changed into a pair of really ugly brown satin underwears right before her kill scene. And once in a while, somebody will show up with a pair of ugly brown satin undies for me to sign. Oh, yeah, but you know, I'm sure. I'm sure you sign, um, you know, DVDs, and you know that's all normal yeah. stuff. But yeah. yeah, signing somebody's body part is definitely something I have not done.
1: Yeah, most of it is DVDs, movie posters. You know, Better Off Dead, Fast Times, Silverado. Yeah, those, and then, and then Highlander stuff because I was on the first season of Highlander. So like, they'll bring up those things to sign. Yeah. Um, but every now and then, not as much as. Heather Lingenkamp and Robert England, they get asked a lot to sign arms and legs because people have it tattooed. That's just mind blowing to me. But
0: and those ugly sweaters, too. <laughs>
1: yes. And I know people, like that, I, I often am saying, you know, it's very, very difficult to find sweaters with a Sharpie or even a paint pen. And people just want it so badly. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm it And it doesn't even look like, um, you know, it doesn't even look like my signature. But I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm trying to make it look as nice as possible. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Hey, listen, I do have to ask you about the opening sequence in Nightmare on Elm Street. Since this is a not the final girl podcast, I have to ask you a not the final girl question. (laughs) I had to laugh because I was watching you running in your long white nightgown. And
1: yeah,
0: okay, looking at the bottom of the nightgown and the way you were running, was it like hugging at your ankles a little bit? Because it looked like it was tight on you at the bottom or it was tangled.
1: It wasn't, it wasn't, but I think it was such flimsy fabric Mm -hmm. that I think it was, I probably hadn't shaved my legs or something, and it was sticking (laughs) to that hair on my legs. I think that, it wasn't intentional, because it was just a regular granny (laughs) nightgown, and I remember, and uh, because... I'm sure that's what it was. I was just like, I don't have to shave my legs today. I'm wearing a long granny nightgown, and then running, going, "Oh, this is a bummer! It's sticking to the hair." On. Yeah. It's like you needed static cling
0: or something. <laughs> I had a
1: static cling on the, on my leg. And um, I remember when um, you know, when I put that on. I was like, this is really see-through, and then it they're was. like, oh no, but it won't be see-through when mm. they're filming, it, it'll be the way it's lit, and mm. of course, I mean, not that anybody was trying to pull a fast one, and it totally looks cool, especially with my little granny panties on, and um, <laughs> I mean, it really, is like, you go, oh, that's like a little girl, in uh, her, her granny.
0: Were you wearing the underwears that were the days of the week when you were shooting that scene? <laughs>
1: So wish I was, because it would have shown, and then everybody would have known that Tina died on a Tuesday. Yeah, or
0: continuity, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think they were like J.C. Penny granny panties <laughs> <laughs> that were provided by the wardrobe. I mean, it was so low budget. There was a point where we all wore the same Levi's, and they would just wrote, and we all pretty much wore the same size, and so they would just like wash a couple pairs throw them at you and and like on the day when all four of us kids were there they're like where's the other pair of Levi's (laughs) It it was very low budget it was very very low budget yeah but um yeah so that um scene like with the sheep and the lambs and then the shooting in the boiler room and all that stuff we did that at the the Lincoln Heights Jail, which is a jail I, was, I think in Boyle Heights it, it just had the worst energy it was so scary yeah. that even the crew didn't want to walk anywhere by themselves yeah. and so it was like I feel like that like helped that all those scenes because it was so scary I was just like, get me out of here like you walked down the stairs to go into it and the hair on your body would stand up it was just like, oh my god get me out of here.
0: Yeah, yeah but, it definitely was creepy and I, I was wondering if you guys had a hard time sleeping <laughs> <laughs> during filming especially after that
1: it was super creepy and I have to say um, on panels Robert and Heather talk often that they had nightmares I don't recall having nightmares about it but I do recall being very scared in that boiler room and yeah. thinking. I remember like that I just you know There was a point where there's a scene Robert's jumping up behind me and the boiler flames are behind us and stuff. And um, my shoulders were up at my ears. And Wes was like, stop anticipating him jumping up. And I'm like, stop yelling at me. I just want out of this boiler room. I'm so scared down here. Um, He was so funny. He's like, I'm not yelling. I just need you to relax your shoulders. I'm like, all right. Um, But um, I know, and it was was interesting because not – knowing that I was going to be the first to die, Mm -hmm. but also not really knowing anything about the horror genre or that there were final girls or not final girls or anything like that. All I knew was that Wes wanted me to make the audience believe that I was the person that was going to survive. And so we really had to work... On, like making the character sassy but also relatable as the final girl like not the sexy sassy person yeah. that you know is going to die and so it was a really interesting fun experience to to try to help to try to to work to bring Wes's vision of that character like it's like a real Janet Lee kind of he wanted that sort of Janet Lee from Psycho type thing where you go wait what she died then nobody's safe you know
0: yeah so but of, come on we well, broke yeah. a lot of cardinal rules in in nightmare and the most egregious one is having sex you knew yes. you had to die once you read that scene yes
1: totally <laughs> and the and because you know Wes you know was keeping true with that archetype and um so yeah that was that was the telltale tale, you know Oh my god!
0: Yeah, and I have That's to say, crazy. you know what? Your kill scene—I was cracking up when I was uh, rewatching it the other day because you know, yeah, I, I had to rewatch it, and it just—oh yeah, yeah well, I had to because I was like, okay, wait a second. I know she has this really crazy death, and then I remembered as soon as they showed it, I went, "Oh my god, this is the dancing on the ceiling scene." Oh, it reminded me. Yeah, it reminded me of those old Hollywood musicals, you know, when the guy would be dancing on the ceiling and coming back down the wall. Did he do that as an homage to old films, or was it just like, this is going to be creepy as F, like The Exorcist?
1: Um, I think it was twofold. I think at the time, this was pre-CGI, like that was the only way to to make it look like I was being dragged across the ceiling. Nobody had invented anything <laughs> else besides just a room in a big soundstage. We filmed at the old Desilu. Um, studios and they had a It's a small s- studio, but there's one soundstage that's very, very tall. And um, so we literally built the room. It was like on a full chrome. You had to climb a ladder to get into it. And oh, wow. um, but I think in a way it's an homage just because Wes is such was such a lover of movies. Like yeah. I, I I swear he had seen every movie ever made to date. Um, and you know low budget like literally every single thing we did in that movie was practical it was a practical effect mm-hmm. and we did it because that was the only way <laughs> that it could be done at the time like literally off stage there's just people throwing buckets of blood at you and, like it was just very tactile hands-on you know the like literally there were crewmen outside you know turning the crank to make the room go around
0: yeah again. everything was very deliberately done you could really get that feeling from yeah. the movie. Now, without mentioning Johnny Depp's Volcano of Blood, when you saw the final product, were you surprised at the amount of blood production used for your kill scene?
1: Yes, I was. I mean, because well, I mean, you know this from your movies. Like while you're filming it, you don't. I mean, you just don't have an idea, really. Yeah. This is pre-Video Village. This is they're filming like you don't, I mean, outside of doing looping was the first time I saw some things. So, you know, I, I and also I was such a young actor, like yeah. I just didn't really have any idea what the final product was gonna look like. And I was like, this seems like a lot of blood, I don't know. And then the, the Johnny, there's a story that I wasn't there this day, but Johnny Depp used the same room I did. And so when they, when they filmed like the gush of blood I mean, the bed was really upside down, and so that's how they were able to do that Ah, volcano of blood. Somebody accidentally rocked the room, and all the blood came pouring out onto the ground, over all the electrical wires. Oh my God, what had a to, disaster. Like, everybody, had to, everybody was running and screaming and they had to go shut down all the electricity and it was a, it was a big to-do. Um, so the rotating room, like, you know, you couldn't lock it. It had to like smoothly go or things would go out the windows. But
0: yeah, Oh my blood. God.
1: scene had a lot of blood.
0: Yeah, it did. It, it reminded me of when the elevators open in The Shining and the blood just goes into the hallway and swishes and splashes.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think that everything in the original nightmare is like super, or in my opinion, Mm -hmm. like believable and scary, except for that. There was just something like that. But then that sets it up in my, for me anyway, like, Because I think the other movies are more jokey and -hmm. then they have more of the, you know, people turning into bugs and all this like stupid stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the audience appreciates
0: the fact that Wes Craven put you guys together and developed a relationship with your characters, you know, on and off screen to make it all very believable that you really did care what happened to the other person.
1: Yeah. I think there's a, a, a couple times in my life, Fast Times is another one where Amy Heckerling... Just had this amazing eye, not for, just for talent, but for chemistry. And that is a wrap on part
0: one of Fast Times with Amanda Wiss. So grateful to Amanda for being a part of the Not the Final Girl universe. Be on the lookout for part two when Amanda talks about working on Fast Times, Better Off Dead, and her many roles, both past and present. In the meantime, though, you can check out Amanda's website, which is amandawis.com, or head over to her Instagram at amandawis. All the links for these things are in the show notes. You can also find yours truly on Instagram at Laura Marie taylor one That's the number one behind my name. And yes, I am working on a new website, so stay tuned for that to launch. Also, a big thank you to Tom, Julie, and Anne for sponsoring this episode. You can find out how to join the club by going to patreon.com slash notthefinalgirlpodcast. And I appreciate all of you for listening, liking, and subscribing to this podcast. Thanks a bunch. Don't forget to keep your doors locked and stay out of the woods.